Chapter 1, Section 11 of The Greek View of Life by Goldsworthy Lowe's Dickinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. Chapter 1, Section 11 The Greek View of Death and a Future Life of all the problems on which we expect light to be thrown by religion none to us is more pressing than that of death a fundamental and as many believe the most essential part of christianity is its doctrine of reward and punishment in the world beyond and a religion which had nothing at all to say about this great enigma we should hardly feel to be a religion at all and certainly on this head the greeks more than any people that ever lived must have required a consolation and a hope just in proportion as their life was fuller and richer than that which has been lived by any other race just in proportion as their capacity for enjoyment in body and soul was keener as their senses were finer their intellect broader their passions more intense must they have felt with peculiar emphasis the horror of decay and death and such in fact is the characteristic note of their utterances on this theme rather says the ghost of achilles to odysseus in the world of shades rather would i live upon the soil as the hireling of another with a landless man who had no great livelihood than bear sway among all the dead that are no more better as shakespeare has it the weariest and most loathed worldly life that age ache penury and imprisonment can lay on nature better that on earth at least and in the sun than the phantom kingdoms of the dead the fear of age and death is the shadow of the love of life and on no people has it fallen with more horror than on the greeks the tenderest of their songs of love close with a sob and it is an autumn wind that rustles in their bowers of spring here for example is a poem by mimnermus characteristic of this mood of the greeks o golden love what life what joy but thine come death when thou art gone and make an end when gifts and tokens are no longer mine nor the sweet intimacies of a friend these are the flowers of youth but painful age the bane of beauty following swiftly on wearies the heart of man with sad presage and takes away his pleasure in the sun hateful is he to maiden and to boy 
and fashioned by the gods for our annoy such being the general view of the greeks on the subject of death what has their religion to say by way of consolation it taught to begin with that the spirit does survive after death but this survival as it is described in the homeric poems is merely that of a phantom and a shade a bloodless and colourless duplicate of the man as he lived on earth listen to the account odysseus gives of his meeting with his mother's ghost so spake she and i mused in my heart and would fain have embraced the spirit of my mother dead thrice i sprang towards her and was minded to embrace her thrice she flitted from my hands as a shadow or even as a dream and sharper ever waxed the grief within me and uttering my voice i spake to her winged words mother mine wherefore dost thou not tarry for me who am eager to seize thee that even in hades we twain may cast our arms each about the other and satisfy us with chill lament is it but a phantom that the high goddess persephone hath sent me to the end that i may groan for more exceeding sorrow so spake i and my lady mother answered me anon ah me my child luckless above all men nought doth persephone the daughter of zeus deceive thee but even in this wise it is with mortals when they die for the sinews no more bind together the flesh and the bones but the force of burning fire abolishes them so soon as the life hath left the white bones and the spirit like a dream flies forth and hovers near from such a conception of the life after death little comfort could be drawn nor does it appear that any was sought so far as we can trace the habitual attitude of the greek he seems to have occupied himself little with speculation either for good or evil as to what might await him on the other side of the tomb he was told indeed in his legends of a happy place for the souls of heroes and of torments reserved for great criminals but these ideas do not seem to have haunted his imagination he was never obsessed by that close and imminent vision of heaven and hell which overshadowed and dwarfed for the mediaeval mind the brief space of pilgrimage on earth rather he turned by preference from the thought of death back to life and in the memory of honourable deeds in the past and the hope of fame for the future sought his compensation for the loss of youth and love 
in the great funeral speech upon those who have fallen in war which thucydides puts into the mouth of pericles we have we must suppose a reflection more accurate than is to be found elsewhere of the position naturally adopted by the average greek and how simple are the topics how broad and human how rigorously confined to the limits of experience there is no suggestion anywhere of a personal existence continued after death the dead live only in their deeds and only by memory are the survivors to be consoled i do not now commiserate the parents of the dead who stand here i would rather comfort them you know that your life has been passed amid manifold vicissitudes and that they may be deemed fortunate who have gained most honour whether an honourable death like theirs or an honourable sorrow like yours and whose days have been so ordered that the term of their happiness is likewise the term of their life some of you are at an age at which they may hope to have other children and they ought to bear their sorrow better not only will the children who may hereafter be born make them forget their now lost ones but the city will be doubly a gainer she will not be left desolate and she will be safer for a man's counsels cannot be of equal weight or worth when he alone has no children to risk in the general danger to those of you who have passed their prime i say congratulate yourselves that you have been happy during the greater part of your days remember that your life of sorrow will not last long and be comforted by the glory of those who are gone for the love of honour alone is ever young and not riches as some say but honour is the delight of men when they are old and useless the passage perhaps represents what we may call the typical attitude of the greek to seek consolation for death if anywhere then in life and in life not as it might be imagined beyond the grave but as it had been and would be lived on earth appears to be consonant with all that we know of the clear and objective temper of the race it is the spirit which was noted long ago by goethe as inspiring the sepulchral monuments of athens the wind he says which blows from the tombs of the ancients comes with gentle breath as over a mound of roses the reliefs are touching and pathetic and always represent life there stand father and mother their son between them gazing at one another with unspeakable truth to nature here a pair clasp hands here a father seems to rest on his couch and wait to be entertained by his family 
to me the presence of these scenes was very touching their art is of a late period yet are they simple natural and of universal interest here there is no knight in harness on his knees awaiting a joyful resurrection the artist has with more or less skill presented to us only the persons themselves and so made their existence lasting and perpetual they fold not their hands gaze not into heaven they are on earth what they were and what they are they stand side by side take interest in one another and that is what is in the stone even though somewhat unskilfully yet most pleasingly depicted as a further illustration of the same point an epitaph may be quoted equally striking for its simple human feeling and for its absence of any suggestion of a continuance of the life of the dead farewell is the first and last word no hint of a joyful resurrection farewell tomb of melite the best of women lies here who loved her loving husband onesimus thou wert most excellent wherefore he longs for thee after thy death for thou wert the best of wives farewell thou too dearest husband only love my children but however characteristic this attitude of the greeks may appear to be especially by contrast with the christian view it would be a mistake to suppose that it was the only one with which they were acquainted or that they had put aside altogether as indifferent or insoluble the whole problem of a future world as we have seen they did believe in the survival of the spirit and in a world of shades ruled by pluto and persephone they had legends of a place of bliss for the good and a place of torment for the wicked and if this conception did not haunt their mind as it haunted that of the medieval christian yet at times it was certainly present to them with terror or with hope that the greek was not unacquainted with the fear of hell we know from the passage of plato part of which we have already quoted wherein speaking of the mendicant prophets who professed to make atonement for sin he says that their ministrations are equally at the service of the living and the dead the latter they call mysteries and they redeem us from the pains of hell but if we neglect them no one knows what awaits us and on the other hand we hear as early as the date of the odyssey of the elysian fields reserved for the souls of the favourites of the gods the greeks then were not without hope and fear concerning the world to come 
however little these feelings may have coloured their daily life and there was one phase of their religion which appears to have been specially occupied with this theme in almost every greek city we hear of mysteries the most celebrated being of course those of eleusis in attica what exactly these mysteries were we are very imperfectly informed but so much at least is clear that by means of a scenic symbolism representing the myth of demeter and core or of dionysus sagreus hopes were held out to the initiated not only of a happy life on earth but of a happy immortality beyond blessed says pindar blessed is he who has seen these things before he goes under the hollow earth he knows the end of life and he knows its god-given origin and it is presumably to the initiated that the same poet promises the joys of his thoroughly greek heaven for them he says shineth below the strength of the sun while in our world it is night and the space of crimson flowered meadows before their city is full of the shade of frankincense trees and of fruits of gold and some in horses and in bodily feats and some in dice and some in harp-playing have delight and among them thriveth all fair flowering bliss and fragrance streameth ever through the lovely land as they mingle incense of every kind upon the altars of the gods the greeks then were not unfamiliar with the conception of heaven and hell only and that is the point to which we must return and on which we must insist the conception did not dominate and obsess their mind they may have had their spasms of terror but these they could easily relieve by the performance of some atoning ceremony they may have had their thrills of hope but these they would only indulge at the crisis of some imposing ritual the general tenor of their life does not seem to have been affected by speculations about the world beyond of age indeed and of death they had a horror proportional to their acute and sensitive enjoyment of life but their natural impulse was to turn for consolation to the interests and achievements of the world they knew and to endeavour to soothe by memories and hopes of deeds future and past the inevitable pains of failure and decay end of chapter 1 section 11 Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey.